This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. In this episode, we talk with Susanna Rogers, an Anchorage, Alaska-based physical therapist who can often be found working with elite cross-country skiers from APU and the U.S. ski team. We spoke with Rogers on February 19th when she was finishing up a pre-world championships high-altitude camp with the distance skiers in Davos, Switzerland. She currently is assisting U.S. skiers in Seefeld, Austria at the 2019 World Championships. We discussed how to maintain basic wellness on the road and what type of non-nine-to-five role she has with the U.S. team. Okay, on with the show. You know, to start things off, I'll get you, if you could kind of introduce yourself, who you are, and talk a little bit about kind of your your regular life uh-huh. in Anchorage and then kind of what you do also as you're affiliated with the yeah, sure. U.S. ski team sure. as we kind of move forward. Um, yeah. So if you just want to roll with that. Okay. Um, my name is Susanna Rogers and I am a physical therapist. I currently live in Anchorage, Alaska. And this is going to be, or it is actually my sixth season uh, traveling with the U.S. national ski team. Um, I am a clinical physical therapist in my real life, and I work in outpatient orthopedic clinic, and I have been just so fortunate to be surrounded with an amazing group of people like the cross-country skiers, and um, I started working with an APU cross-country team about maybe eight years ago, and um, we've done some physical therapy throughout the years, and that led to me traveling actually with a U.S. cross-country team. So uh, right now, I am in Davos in Switzerland, and we are finishing our altitude training camp in preparation to a couple of World Cup starts in Italy this coming weekend, and then World Championships in Seattle in Austria. You know, I'm curious, you know, in your work back in Anchorage, is it sort of general patient, it sounds like you work with an orthopedic clinic. Is it general patient or do you work specifically with people recovering from sports injuries? I primarily work with um, active population. And I've actually started our sports physical therapy rehabilitation program at Advanced Physical Therapy. And I think we're going into our maybe 10th or 11th year in that. And my goal really is my passion is keeping active people active. So whether it means education, whether it means exercise and workout adjustments, whether it means manual therapy, um, I have many tools that I can use. But generally, yes, maybe 85% of my patient population is um, active people. And of that population, how many of them, I mean, I know there's a lot of hard chargers in the Anchorage area. You know, if you can kind of determine, you know, the percentage of them that are elite or like recreational, like, and I'm sure your name has a buzz to it because you obviously work with the APU team um, and you work with the US ski team, but you know, of your, your patients, how does that demographic kind of break down from like, when you define what active is? You know, I feel like everybody's a high-level athlete in their own way. Um, And to answer your question, um, maybe my high-level athletes are maybe 20% of my patient population, 
But where really where my passion is, is bringing what I've learned in the high level physical therapy educational circles, bring, in, bring that down to your re- regular recreational population and get people running, get people go play tennis or hike or whatever they want to do in Alaska. So that's probably the majority of my population. You know, I, I'm kind of was brainstorming before calling you and thinking about, you know, athletes that you probably work with up in Alaska or you work with them on the road with the U.S. ski team and what sort of their recurring ailments are. And I know, for example, you know, Sadie is very has been public talking about, you know, she struggled with her feet for years. What are some of the things that you learn working with elite athletes? Like you just mentioned, taking what you've learned from working with that elite population and then kind of bringing that to a broader population. Yeah. You know, can you speak a little bit? Yeah. So what, what would some of those items be? You know, um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you always, when you, when you have a athlete, it doesn't matter if it's high level athlete or recreational athlete, you always kind of start with their goals in mind. So you have this this goal that you, you're working towards, and then um, on the road to that goal, you start making smaller goals that are very reachable, and that is very true for your regular population or for your high-level athlete population. So um, if somebody is dealing with maybe knee osteoarthritis and they want to go back to hiking, uh, that can be that really big goal, and then we try to figure out, okay, what does this person need? to start making the smaller steps forward towards this goal. So um, I see a lot of uh, spine afflictions, maybe chronic issues, um, hips, knee, foot and ankle. Um, My passion really is foot and ankle and shoes, you know, because I see a lot of running-based clients. So I try to make that full circle talking about, you know, not just what is going on with that particular body part, but also uh, how can we protect and support and then get it back to whatever it needs to be doing in regards to shoes or surface or training loads? It doesn't matter, all, all that aspect. Again, like taking Sadie, for example, who struggled with her feet, would it be under your purview to maybe look at how, say, Fisher has modified a boot for her or how a footbed specialist may have modified a boot and then you would you look into that as well? Yeah, we're actually going to meet the boot manufacturer with Sadie when we get to Seffold. Um, and that's actually my other role when working with the U.S. national team and the APU cross-country team is working with the equipment manufacturers and the coaches and nutritionists, kind of looking at the full circle, what needs to happen for the athlete to have everything in place that they need to, to stay healthy and to raise well. So, and definitely working with, um, with shoes is a, is a big thing, big part of what I do with the ski team. And, and how might, so for example, are you in Europe with the team through Seyfeld or are you there for the camp specifically? Um, both, um, as a PT, um, yeah, we've decided that, and it's very true, um, my, my best um, benefit really for the team is when I'm able to stay with the team and help them out during the training camp. So training camps are there for the, for the athletes to recover, to catch their form again, to train, to get their bodies ready for racing. 
And that's where the PT and the massage therapy is really important. So if they're dealing with any kind of nagging injuries or we're dealing with equipment or technique or anything else, now it's the time to address that. And so if we as PTs do our job well enough during the camps, then we don't have much work other than recovery massage during the competition. So both sides of the coin are very important, but in different light. So yes, I'm going to be, I'm going to be with the team. Yeah. That's a long stretch so that you'll be there for like a, like four or five weeks or so. Yeah. About five weeks. Yeah. Five weeks. On the competition side, is it really, I mean, you, you, you just mentioned that, you know, if, if everything has gone well and during the training phase, like at the, you know, during a camp, say in Davos, the massage therapy is effective. The PT is effective that during the competition phase that it's a little more chill or relaxed and smooth sailing. But is, is it, I mean, I imagine that that is not always the case and that again, I, I'm just going to off the top of my head think, okay, Jesse skied, Jesse Diggins skied every event at the Olympics, which um, is a tremendous load on the body. And I think she's one of a, maybe two athletes who did that collectively from the entire field, not just from the U S ski team. I think she, there were only two out two female athletes that raced every race. Is it really often that your job is just sort of base level maintenance for athletes or does it become a little more rigor rigorous than that? Um, we're actually really, really busy during the high-level competition, like the Olympics or World Championships or Tour de Ski, for example, because, yes, we have these athletes like Jesse who um, races every single race, but they recover very well. So um, we do get busy, um, probably put in maybe seven, eight hours a day of PT and massage therapy, but the nice part about it is we might not be dealing with injuries, and that's what we're striving achieve having no injuries to deal with during the high level competition but we're really busy doing the recovery work so as pts we do massages we do recovery massage we do everything else okay so you actually you'll do massage as well it's not just um oh yeah yeah okay you're busy you know when you're coordinating with say you know the coaches whether it's chris grover or matt wickham or jason cork or the athletes directly before you go to say Davos, um, do you have a real good, I mean, I mean, I'm imagining you do, but I just don't know how the athletes, you know, again, how they might communicate. Are you arriving in Davos with, okay, here is exactly what this athlete's going to need for two weeks. This athlete will need this or, is it an, an approach of, you know, you show up, you do a verbal assessment, you might do an exam, and then proceed from there? I'm kind of curious how it actually works in terms of the planning, and then uh, how it moves forward once you're on the ground. Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. Um, both, actually. Uh, so we have really, really efficient communication system with our medical providers, with our PTs and massage therapists. Um, right now, we have a pool, maybe four or five PTs and massage therapists that travel with a team throughout the season. So we do have a central location that we do our physical therapy and massage therapy notes. So if there is a problem, or I don't want to say a problem, if there is a nail pretty much, 
with with an athlete, we know about it right away. And the athletes are usually really good communicators as well. So I know if I'm dealing with something that is uh, out of ordinary, I know way before I travel. And then a large majority of um, our team here is actually a few athletes, and I, I know them really well. I, I work with them throughout the year, so um, that's pretty easy to keep keep on top of that. It's funny because I'm I'm thinking of, for example, like a Lindsey Vaughn, and these and these sports, you know, cross country skiing and and like speed, speed, the speed disciplines in alpine racing or or the technical disciplines are, you know, very different, and the loads on the system and the knees and the spine are very different in the two sports. And I've been reading a lot about Lindsey Vaughn lately because she retired, but you know, she she seemingly put together with titanium and rods and an incredible will. Do you, in the cross country scene, despite the difference in sports, I mean, do you oftentimes have athletes that are so myopic and so driven that, you know, they just have an incredible tolerance for pain, but sometimes they may be jeopardizing, you know, a little bit of health. I'm not trying to, I don't want to add a loaded question, but just, you know, curious how you might navigate an athlete who, you know, really it's like pain management phase. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think Jason right now we have any athletes that fall into that category because they all know their bodies really well and they know their boundaries. So, um, we do have some really driven athletes. Of course, cross country skiers do have to be driven that work through some amount of pain, but they are really good in recognizing, oh, this is something that needs to be looked at a little bit closer or I can just push through it. And then, you know, then there is us, the medical team, that kind of help them get through. Um, on the cross-country side, we rarely have injuries that will require really big medical management. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had a concussion and we had some um, we had a broken leg as well, and we had some sprained shoulders and things, but nothing big, which is fortunate. Knock on wood. You're kind of switching gears a little bit. You know, personally, like what has kept you in it? You know, you're a PhD, I believe. You have kids. Um, you run a business. Uh, super accomplished. What are you driving intellectually from working with these specific athletes? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I thought about it so many times because it would be very easy just to stay home and do whatever is put in front of me. But um, I, this is what I do. This is my passion, really. And I do it because I believe that we can do so much better. Um, and the, the group of people is just such an amazing group of people, driven individuals. And you've seen it last several years, the cross-country skiing in the United States is just climbing up, and I don't think it's the end yet. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I really believe in the power of what we have going on right now. And my family, I have a, a girl who is nine and a boy that's 12 and an awesome husband. They're really supportive. So we all pile up on the couch in the middle of the night and watch some scary thing and um, I stay with my family almost every day, so it's it's really great, and my work is really supportive as well. Ah, good for you. That's cool. So, how did you end up in Alaska? Oh my goodness. Um, so, 
So I do have a ski background as well. Um, I was a downhill ski racer, and I can say that I don't have any titanium in me. I have both my ACLs. Um, I was, I'm originally from Slovakia, and um, I spent five years on the Czechoslovakia and Slovakian national team. And I was actually recruited from a university back home in Slovakia to go ski for NCAA, uh, University of Alaska in Anchorage. And that was in 94. So I skied for UAA until 98 and then decided I really like medicine and now uh, went to physical therapy school and never looked back. And that entire time was up in Anchorage, is that correct? Oh, no. Uh, we don't have physical therapy school in Anchorage. I went to Seattle, University oh, of Washington, okay. for my master's, okay. and then Texas Tech University for my clinical PhD and some other continuing education things through IOC. So it's been fun. If there's a young PT listening to this or in school learning to become a PT, you know, what sort of recommendations would you give them in terms of how they may get involved with something like you're involved with? Yeah, and this is actually a really important question you're asking because many times, you know, we're so deep in the books in physical therapy school and then we come out and the world opens and then we try to figure out, okay, what is it that we want to do? Um, but my kind of advice for, for PT in school is maybe a couple of advice. Um, find a mentor and I had an amazing mentor straight from school and she's still my mentor and she showed me the ropes of manual therapy and uh, high level physical therapy. And, um, as the PT becomes a PT, as they graduate, graduate from physical therapy school, they become our colleagues really. And there's no competition. So, um, there is so many very well-accomplished PTs that would love to mentor uh, a younger PT because, you know, we can't do our jobs forever. And then if they can keep their mind open and explore many different possibilities and get themselves out there, many times, you know, we're, we're taught in school that we kind of have to, um, to play small until we can achieve something big. So my advice is don't do that and just really dream big and try to try to follow your dreams. Okay, on a lighter note, like during World Cups or World Championships, I think you were in Lati and uh, the Olympics. You were obviously there during race time. Um, what are, where might one find you? Um, I'm usually doing the start or finish duty. So um, we get our special bibs that allow us to get to the start or finish line. And um, our responsibilities kind of switch into maybe the mother of the team because we need to make sure, okay, do you have everything? Do you do you have your energy bars? Do you have your bib? Do you have the right bib? Uh, do you have your clothing bag? Um, where does that need to go? So, we do all these little things that uh, the athletes may need in the start. And then finish, we really need to make sure that they have their, their bags, their belongings, and that they can uh, rehydrate and refuel and uh, get their dry stuff on if they're done racing. And actually, the, my, the most favorite part of this job is kind of doing the 
the Sherpa in, in the finish line because if if we get a podium, when we get a podium, really, um, then it's a it's a chain of events for the athlete that unravels. So they need somebody to take care of, of all their stuff. They need to get their dry stuff on and get some food and then go through the media zone, get through the interviews, get through the doping control. So that adds about maybe two or three hours to the end of the racing. And that's what happened at the Olympics. We were there pretty much until maybe 10, 10.30 at night with uh, Jesse and Keegan. So that's really my most favorite part of this job. And so you are, I guess in closing, you are... I guess you made it through a couple of Olympic cycles. You're going to make it through another world championships. What does the future hold for you in terms of, you know, working with the U.S. ski team? Uh, you know, huh, good question. Um, I love this. And if I can, I'm going to stay with the ski team as long as I can, because I feel like uh, we're making a big strides forward. And, um, you know, maybe I can reveal this now. I'm actually writing a book on um, kind of how to stay active throughout the the decades of life. So hopefully I can bring my experience and knowledge and education down to that regular, regular person who just wants to stay active and motivate them all that. So um, I don't know what the future holds. I'm staying steady with what I'm doing and I love what I do. So we'll see. Here's one last question, actually. So young person, I would just, you know, I, you obviously know the, the name Gus Schumacher mm-hmm. and there's a lot of young folks, young, very fast skiers up in that Anchorage area and, and Fairbanks. Um, you know, do you, do you, I guess, what's your sense about when a younger athlete and it doesn't need to be a Gus Schumacher, but just a younger active athlete who maybe is already putting in 400 hours a year. I'm just curious, like what you might advise uh, to someone that age, what, what type of protocol or what should they be doing in terms of like foam rolling, stretching, massage therapy, recovery. And that might be too big a question. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually that's, that's one of my passions and it's really important to bring it up because um, we can even take a step further back and we see this across all the sports. We see kids, very young kids that are maybe uh, six, seven, eight, nine years old that are really specializing in one sport. And uh, with these kids that start in one sport very young, we see a big uh, danger of maybe early injury or burnout from the sport before they reach teens. So, my advice to parents, really, of these young kiddos is let them play until they are about 13, 14 years old. They need to experience wide variety of sports, many different ways how to move. They really need to be good movers. And then uh, we do see kids that are exceptional in certain areas. You know, you might see somebody that's 14 and is able to run maybe 5, 10 miles really well. And these individuals start to get that love for the sport and their physiology and their musculoskeletal system is already adapting to that. So, and, you know, if you bring uh, Gus Schumacher up, he is somebody who's done probably many different things when he was younger. And now when he, where he is, he's just so driven and he's got really good coaching staff. 
Um, and he surrounded himself with uh, really, really good people that kind of watch over him so he doesn't overtrain or he does the right things, right? So, and that's really important. So, being driven is not the only thing that drives the, the teenager forward, but they need to be smart about it too. And their parents need to be smart about it as well. So, yeah, we see a lot of these younger teenage um kids that are becoming really, really good. And yes, they're coming from Fairbanks and Anchorage as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in a few years. Okay. Well, thanks for your time. I'm going to do my 100 push-ups later. Good. I got 40 left for today. Oh, you do? I have 200 left for today because we skipped yesterday. So <laughs> It's okay. Right. You don't have to do all of them. I don't know. I'm a little type A. So like I, I have like a bank account or, you know, what's my deficit for my pushups and I, I'm going to have to fulfill that. But anyway, that's my own sort of psychological baggage. Well, I appreciate your time. Good. We'll take it easy as you go. Yeah. All right. Have a great day and or a great evening. Thanks again and best of luck in Seyfeld. Excellent. Thank you, Jason. And have a great time and take care of your kids. I will. I will. All right. See you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>